Welcome to a Bit Cryptic Podcast, where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency. Now, it's time to get a bit cryptic. fucking transform you know the world and they you know they buy a compound and and you know off a, a, you know, on an island where they're you know basically there's no tax laws and then they say well we're going to transform i'm like with what are you growing fucking food yeah. energy <laughs> infrastructure like what are you doing with you know crypto that you have like what are you doing like let's get real here welcome to a bit cryptic podcast where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency. Now, it's time to get a bit cryptic. Welcome to a special edition of a Bit Cryptic podcast. Today, I sit with Darwin Figueroa of the podcast Kebola which interviews the movers and shakers of South Florida. Together, we interview Gunther Sonnenfeld, founding partner of Novena Capital, which is a blockchain consultancy and investment group. In this episode, we talk about what he calls the crypto cowboys versus the buy-the-books crypto companies. We also talk about Gunther's views on investment, capital, and the crypto space as a whole. Gunther's a super smart cookie with a diverse background in money and cryptocurrency, so we learned a lot from this episode, and we hope you do too. We recorded this episode in a different space from the usual, so you might notice a difference in the audio quality. However, we think the content of this episode is good enough that you won't mind. All right, let's get right to it. We're in the studio. This is co-hosting episode, Que Vola, a big cryptic, with my homeboy Jeffrey and our guest Gunther. Gunther, how you doing, bro? What's going on, brother? It's good. Good. Yeah, I'm... Uh... I'm honored you invited me on your podcast, man. So, Gunther, you are founding partner of Novena Capital, right? Novena Capital, yes. Novena Capital. All right, yeah. I'm sorry. I've been, I've been uh, pronouncing it wrong. I've been pronouncing it Novena. I don't know because I'm Hispanic, so I guess. I like it, though. Novena, where does that come from? Uh, the Novena are actually the nine uh, central Catholic prayers. So they're, they're sacred prayers. I mean, I'm not religious, although my partner and I, well, my partner's actually was Catholic raised. I went to Catholic school, but it's not really it. It's, it has more of a, a sacred and spiritual meaning to it. The number nine also has uh, Eastern connotations, like an Eastern uh, philosophy around uh, aspects of enlightenment. So it, it has sort of, you know, multiple meanings. That's what's up. I like that. I like that. I find it funny how uh, just before the podcast we were talking about how we're both Jewish. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a and fake. You bring this Catholic reference for your company. We're, we're, you're a real I'm Jew. You're, you're a real Jew. I'm not a real Jew. Right? Well, I'm, I'm a cashew, so like I was actually raised Catholic, but my mom is Jewish, so you know I have. I'm like we're. I think I guess we're both cashews. Apparently, so it's kind of funny. That's what's up, man? Cashews are uniting on the yeah. planet. Cashews. You're a cashew and I'm a wingnut, so there you go. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but I like it. <laughs> so you're based out of uh, West Palm right now? 
So I'm in West Palm. We, we were joking about this with a with a client today. We bookended the you know North America or at least the United States, and we chose both beautiful locations, which pisses people off if if they don't like us. That are both. Very similar setups. You know, you have here we have the intercoastal, there they have the bay, then there's a peninsula, then you have the beautiful beach and the water. Yeah. And we both sort of live a mile from the beach, just across the bridge. And then actually our office in Newport Beach is right on the water. So it's it's uh it's not as fancy as, as it sounds, but it's uh so Ed is that's bro, you're on the water anyway. <laughs> yeah. Ed Prado's there. He's my partner, and then I'm here. It's it's cool. But Ed and I know have known each other for almost a decade, and and we actually worked together on some projects when I still lived in California, in Newport. And so he's a great guy. He's got an investment banking background. He actually owned uh, two broker dealer investment banks that served the middle market, and actually he had two in Puerto Rico. And the last one, he's he you know he spun off, sold before the before the hurricane, so he got out got out of that before it was a complete disaster but uh but basically you know he he we we merged his skills in banking with my skills in technology and venture and it's been a really good merger of of capabilities so it's been super cool yeah and it's also super cool uh, i keep finding more commonalities i'm I'm from orange county originally Mm. 20 minutes from Newport. I grew up in Orange, Orange County. You, you, you grew up in Orange? I'm sorry to hear that. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I am too. It's the most boring place to grow up. It's, it's just like a giant suburbia. <laughs> but uh, Newport Beach is actually really nice. That's Newport stuff. Beach is great. I've, I've been through Newport. I've driven through uh, all that area from all the way. All, I've driven all of California. I did a yeah. time from, uh, from TJ all the way up to uh, Oregon. Oh, there you go. That's a good. That's a really cool drive. It's a, yeah, I mean, my sister lives in the Bay Area, so I stopped. I mean, it was to go visit my sister, but I was like, I want to go see the whole state of Cali. You know, there you go. That's all about. It explains why you're so friendly. Uh, you're not originally from South Florida, so yeah. See, well, I yeah. understand you a little better now. That explains everything. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So you you met uh, your partner Ed, Ed Prada. You said. Yeah, so Ed and I were doing different things over the years. Like I said, he had a couple of brokerage houses and and was doing you know some pretty large scale transactions in the middle markets. And then I I have a technology and a venture background. And so when I was in California, the last thing I I was a partner at a, at a small uh, venture accelerator called K Five. And I think you know during my time there, I think we accelerated or incubated about thirty five companies and. You know, it was a good experience. I, I didn't love the venture model itself, and but it, it it revealed a lot to me about what could be improved. And Ed was, you know, doing basically boutique investment banking deals. And in a nutshell, towards the end of last year, he got out of the last bank that or broker dealer that he had, and then I. I actually had built a or co-developed a independent journalism platform, and we had bundled it in with some other related ventures and, and did it and, and put it into a, an ICO. And then I basically had, I was, I had a misalignment with the group in a nutshell. We ended up raising 25 million bucks in the ICO, but I, I had some ethical issues to put it mildly with the group and I bailed and I didn't take any tokens or anything. I just kind of left everything. And then of course it kind of blew up. Our core platform was called Insurge, but we, we had, we put something out called a press coin. 
So basically, it was a token coin for, and you know, initially we 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 had labeled it a hybrid utility, and then it was a utility, and that was like halfway through the raise, and it was this whole shit show basically. But it was, uh, I mean, it was kind of funny, right? Because there was like thirty five people working on the thing, and and to the credit of the group, I mean, we we really it was kind of like a scattershot process. I mean, we got coverage in a bunch of different publications around the world and all that, but the effort wasn't focused. And my whole thing the entire time was, look, let's do this by the book. You know, let's just go the securities route because it's going to go in that direction anyways, at least right now. And they just wanted to do more or less some cowboy shit. And then that's that's what happened. What did the head of the SEC came out like a few months ago and said he's yet to see a token that... It's not a security. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so like for people who are just going to jump into the field, do you, do you feel that that uncertainty, it kind of makes them uh, apprehensive to say, okay, I want to do this because of the, all the regulation that might happen, might not happen. Like, I don't know if what I'm doing right now, right now is legal, but like in 10 weeks, it could be like illegal. You know what I'm saying? there, there seems to be two primary camps, right? And, and it's really interesting that you asked that question because we had this conversation today with a group that we're going to be working with where the founders, it's a father and son, very bright guys, really nice guys. And the father actually had sold, had a really big exit. Um, he's a very knowledgeable guy. He's an operator. He's run businesses. He knows what he's doing. Before he spoke with us, it was sort of like, well, we don't need to go that route because we'll just deal with it when it comes. We've got an S1 filing, you know, we've got our pro forma. We're fine. We're not scamming anybody. And we're like, yeah, but just register it. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Registration process is not difficult to do. Yeah. And so he's like, really? And we're like, yeah. So he had done IPOs, right. Yeah. And, and made yeah. a lot of money doing that, but he had never done an ICO. And so, so basically that one camp is comprised of people that are pretty unfamiliar with the process, which is not all that cumbersome at the end of the day. And, and then there's the other group that's, you know, who I call the Cowboys where it's like, fuck it, you know, we're just gonna, uh, you know, we're going to look for workarounds and, you know, we'll just deal with it down the road. But the reality is, is that the regular regulatory bodies and, and, uh, are, are, you know, they're targeting. Uh, people and they're back auditing and it's just stupid not to do to do it by the book it's just a don in in our view and 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 here's the thing like let's say you do it and you know there there's no backlash uh initially the problem is is if you get targeted and there is a regulatory issue regardless of what the reasons are and you want to raise more money from accredited investors or private investors, you're, you're screwing yourself, right? Because no one wants to touch, touch a ticking time bomb or a hot potato, right? It's so it's just silly not to go that route. And, and hence why STO secure token offerings are, are really becoming the new push in the space as they should be, because you should have an asset backed security. So is that what primarily what you're doing at Novena cap? Is that what you're, you're advising um, all the various people who, um, so, so we're sort of agnostic in the capital side of it. We What we do is we make an assessment of the business and then we figure out what the best capital structure could be. So we're not biased towards doing a Reg A plus thing. We're not biased towards doing an ICO or, or DAO or, or, or 
or an STO, it's really like, what is this business really apt to, to, to draw in, in terms of capital? What would be the best capital strategy, which a lot of people don't think about? And then we're licensed, right? We're licensed actually as an investment bank. So we can do all this stuff and we have custody arrangements. We have institutional partners that help us structure a lot of the, the regulatory aspects of it. We have very good relationships with regulators like FINRA and the SEC. So we just, that's how we set it up. And we just want to set people up for success and just do it. So there's no backlash. I mean, that's basically the deal, right? Yeah. So I was reading that paper that you had that you put out in Medium not so long ago, roughly a, what, a week ago, less than a week ago. Two and days ago? You mean two days ago? Yeah, two days ago. Yeah, days ago? felt like a week after reading that. Yeah. Video, so. <laughs> I know, it took a week to read, but it was published two days ago. So Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, um, that, 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 that paper touches on a lot of various things. I mean, let's start off with, uh, with, with at the top. We were just talking about the STO. So, you yeah. feel, do you feel ICO is over? You feel STO has, is coming in, is going to be raised supreme? How, how yeah, do you feel yeah. about that? No, I, I think it's at its very it's an infancy. I mean, look, IPOs have been around forever. Different share offerings, private share offerings, have been around forever. All of it has evolved to some to some degree. It, we're, it's just the beginning. I, all I think is really happening right now is is that, that the bad actors are being weeded out. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty much it. What we do see being really the next thing is that, and and what we impress upon people is we say, look, if you've got blockchain or DLT infrastructure why wouldn't you set up an escrow account or a repository that contains all the information about what you're doing and, and, and set up a direct line to the regulators so they know what's going on? You know, the, the thing about this... Yeah, people who don't know, DLT means distributed ledger technology, right? Distributed ledger technology, yeah. And, and, and really, the, part of the reason why, why SEC and FINRA and all these different regulatory bodies have been behind the curve for years is simply because... The, the, the entrepreneurs and the companies ha- haven't been proactive about sharing information. And so instead of withholding information, why not embrace the spirit of having a chain or a DLT and, and set up a, a repository within your own chain or what your own DLT structure and, and have that information on avail- uh, available to them? I mean, why, why wouldn't you do that? So I see how you, how you approaching it though, but like for the layman, for the person on the street, how is it that blockchain Either through a either DLT or blockchain, either through an ICO or I, or, D, or STO or uh, or anything else, how is that going to truly start uh, you know affecting them on a day to day basis? Like, yeah, your paper touched on that yeah. with real assets. I can see how real assets could really start affecting people. Like, if people have to have blockchain water, you know what I'm saying? It's gonna be, it's gonna be like, well, you're you're asking for real, like. I need to turn on the tap. Yeah, you, don't, you, don't get, you don't get water bottles anymore. You get water blocks. Yeah, you get water blocks. Get water blocks. Oh, my God. Here we go. Water blocks. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm going to give you a corn block, and then you're going to give me a cannabis block, and then <laughs> I, got a block, I got a brownie like, block. Uh, what's that um, game where everything is block-shaped? Uh, so, Minecraft. So, oh, yeah. It's like Minecraft in real life. Minecraft. Oh, God. Okay, so let's stay away from Minecraft. <laughs> so how do you feel that that is really going to uh, uh, affect them, like – with, with less further on in your paper, you're, you're talking about real assets. How do you feel that that's going to start affecting the everyday person? All right. Well, so you asked two questions, right? Yeah. Let's, let's address the first question, which, okay. I, which I think you asked. So mm-hmm. forgive me for my lack of, it's been a long week already, but so yeah, so there's no, there's no particularity to ICO, STO, whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah. Right? 
bottom line is that it's, it is a terrific funding opportunity. And, and by the way, this, this also follows in line with Title III and Title IV regulations and Reg A, Reg B, and all that stuff, all the, all the crowd, crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding signed up. All of this is interrelated. So these are all things that could be wonderful capital investment vehicles mm-hmm. with a number of possibilities to do. So that's, that's that, right? Now, in terms of real assets, basically our, our core axiom or our core thesis around that is, is twofold. One is that cryptocurrencies do hold great promise, provided that there is some form of uh, price stabilization. And so cryptocurrencies, so the outward-facing monetary units, you know, whatever you want to call them, tokens, complementary currencies, whatever you want to call it, it's great, but it's, it's one thing to trade them on, speculate, on speculation through speculative dynamics, which is really what's happening now, and, and that's happening on steroids. I mean, I, I equate crypto trading to like ETF arbitrage. It's kind okay. of an, right, where basically a bunch of people are hyping their shit. You know, they're trading it on the open market. They're doing microtransactions, blah, blah, blah. And it's cool. I mean, trading is great. But at the same time, in terms of providing some form of price stabilization, some form of value, sustained value, you know, you by price stabilization, mean like adding a real world value behind it, adding a real world value. I mean, it's not enough to say that because I'm holding Bitcoin or Ether or EOT or whatever it is that I've got a medium of exchange and that I'm, I'm trading on value because there's value in the network. I mean, that's not incorrect. But there has to be discernible value in order for that to scale and, and to really mean something going forward. And so the other part of that is, I don't care what anybody says, fiat and, and crypto are inextricably linked. I mean, first of all, if you're, uh, if you're basically providing a market cap value on a crypto, it's, it's in dollars, right? It's not, it's not in, in you know, Ether or tokens or whatever. It's, it's in dollars. It's in fiat. So... Then the other part of it is that directly and indirectly, when you think about crypto exchanges, you're moving large amounts of money through these exchanges. Hence the reason why the big dogs are getting in now. Soros, the Rothschilds, Rockefeller funds are coming in because they're like, oh, this is perfect. We're going to move large amounts of money. We're going to buy up all the positions. We're going to short it. And then we're going to pull our money out. And and so so people need to get real about where the value is going to go from here on on out. And our position is, look, let's tie cryptos to real assets. Yes, let's have a scarce amount of coins issued against a real asset base, whether it's water or energy or land. Let's be really smart about how that value is discerned and disseminated and redistributed. And let's get real about how those a token, for example, can be a utility. So let's say you know you lived in a de- in a, in a depressed area. Let's say it's the Detroit or Puerto Rico, where there are water issues. I mean, Detroit. I don't know if you, you realize people realize this, but half of Detroit doesn't even have water or electricity most of the time. Their grid is totally fucked up. So theoretically, you go in, you create a water supply, you package it up. You, 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 you associate a token or, or, or some form of a complementary currency to it, and now you have a real asset base with a limited supply and that people can actually use. And you can always add and onto it. You can fork it or shard it or whatever, but it's a real asset base. And so you're not trading purely on speculation. You're not exchanging purely on hype, right? So, idea. so I want to stick with this example and just to break it down a little more for the average person. Okay. Sorry. I'm thinking in the average person, okay, throw crypto on water. Why did, why, why is it, what does it matter? What is that? What benefits does that give? How does that improve things? 
et cetera, et cetera. Let's go down that path. Okay, let's go down that path. So let's go down the path using the dollar as a as an example. Okay. Okay. So we might as well use dollars in this example because the dollar, by the way, which is a digital currency now as well, right? You yeah. in exchange for banking, yeah, your bank, oh. on ledger, whatever. The reality is that the do- that the dollar and other forms of fiat are almost purely speculative. Now they're they're backed by government contracts, but of course the public doesn't understand the dynamics of those contracts. So in the case of the U.S. dollar, it's a petrodollar. It's backed by oil contracts and. It's all based on movements in uh, through the military and the types of things that are happening in terms of asset seizures and you know asset development in these developing countries and all sorts of factors. But that's basically how the dollar is valued. Now, what's happening with the dollar also is that it's in aggregate decline, and it's been in aggregate decline since 1918. So, all of which to say that you have a declining dollar that's speculative. So. If I'm if I create a water reservoir in Detroit and I want people to invest in it, I, I'm looking at two different factors that I have to really seriously consider. One is what is the value of the water, right? Per those local market conditions, meaning who needs it, who's gonna use it, how is the water gonna be stored, how is it gonna be packaged up as an investment vehicle, a subsidy, a bond, whatever it is, then how am I valuing the, that asset base uh, in, in terms of dollars, particularly if the, the value of the dollar is in decline, right? So these are very serious things to consider. So whether it's a crypto that's representing the asset or a dollar representing the asset or both, we're, we're dealing with factors of value, scale, and, and, and price sustainability or price stability. And these are economic principles that, that we have to consider in everything that we do. Right now, let me ask you something. You're talking. You're talking about real world assets, right? Yes. If the world of crypto, crypto, excuse me, um, like cripple, that's a new one. That's an exchange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a new one that I just created. Yeah. <laughs> my my it's, it's like ripple, but for uh, Arwen just created cripple. All right. Let's, let's, <laughs> so, so if if, oh, if, if if crypto like starts going into all different it starts spreading its tentacles and all these different assets yeah. do you feel that there's going to ever be an asset that's considered like a community asset like yeah. for example you, you keep talking about water I yeah. feel that water is generally known universally as something that is everybody's it's not like no it's not person. it's not so this is a really good you just asked a really really good question right uh, you, you actually provocated something that's really interesting so let me give you an example in California Nestle for 30 years without a permit has been taking up the public supposed public reserves. These, these are resources in the, in, in the forest, in the central part in the Northern part of the state, 432 million gallons per year. And they've been doing this for years. Okay. So when you, when, when you listen to interviews with the, the, the CEO of Nestle, he's like, well, we have a right to do it. You know, water as a public resource or utility is, is not it's it's not necessarily the right of the public to have it, which is an insane concept. Yeah. But the, re- the reality is, is that this is the mentality of many corporations who are taking up natural resources in public lands for their own uses and, of course, not redistributing it. So, yes, inherently water should be something that everybody has and shares. But in the business and commercial domains, that's not the case. So 
in this situation, what you would want to do is you would want to say, all right, we're going to figure out different ways to create water resources, desalination, any number of things that we can do. We've got filtration systems, and we're going to issue it as a public good or, or a subsidy or utility, and we're going to use crypto to do it. And why is that important, and, and how can we do that? Well, if we have our different people and components in that effort, we have a blockchain or a DLT to connect them. That, the data is real-time. It's pure. We know what everybody's doing, right? On the, on the supply chain side, we can, we can streamline the processes and, and make it effective as opposed to cumbersome, which it typically is now because you don't know what one hand, what the other hand's doing, right? You, you develop the resource, you issue some form of a, of a complementary currency or a token against it. It has scarcity within it, meaning it's a limited number, unlike, you know, dollars, which are issued in unlimited supply through quantitative easing. And you have a real value set. You've got a resource pool. You've got a utility, you've got a, 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 fun, a fungible funding vehicle, and then you have uh, real values associated with it. And it's not just value in dollars. It's, look, there's value in the market participants, the people that are creating the water resource. There's value in the infrastructure uh, around that water development. And there's value in the market itself and the people that are doing exchanges and all that stuff. That's multilateral value. That's what crypto can do for us. That's what and certainly the underlying technologies. Okay. So, so you're creating all these economic opportunities, both for the developing the water resource, as well as people investing, as well as like the actual technology, creating more possibilities for like the actual technology running the, the show behind the curtain. That's exactly right. Yes. One criticism I've heard of asset-backed securities, and I'd love to hear your yeah. answer to this, was that uh, what do you what happens in the situation where you have like this, this huge amount of speculation or yeah. say, say like you have a, you have a real world asset with a fixed value in dollars but the crypto value goes way above that value like like say you have a car that you divide like a million into a million cryptos like and you can buy one million of the car for each yeah. car token or whatever but then but then the actual token exceeds the value of the car. In that situation, you have like this like pure speculation bubble. Yeah, and uh, I've heard that like as a big criticism for like having asset-backed securities for like some fixed value. Like, that. well, but what's the criticism? I mean, how is that different from how debt works in the in the fi- in the financial and commercial world world now? For example, you, you, the retail space, particularly the land side of it, the real estate side of it, has gone under a complete implosion. Hence, why major retailers like Walmart and, and department stores have closed down. There's two reasons for that. One is that the speculative value of the land has gone way down, as it should, because it doesn't. it's not commensurate with the market activity or the sales, number one. Number two, the debt instrument itself is over-leveraged, right? And it's, it's unwieldy. So, so let's, let's, let's equate that to crypto. If you have a token that exceed, greatly exceeds the value of an asset, well, you got to bring that fucker back down to earth. Right. (laughs) Start shortening that. (laughs) Well, you can do that, but this is this is again, this is the hyper speculation game, which is not sustainable. So instead, what you say is, all right, let's issue an asset backed security, which will level off the speculative risk and the hype. You know, it'll 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 reduce that hype cycle, and then you're bringing in real world value. It's a really simple answer, right? So so you think this will actually reduce the amount of speculation because it's now attached to something that people already know about? One hundred percent. 100. I mean, that's kind of, but at the same time, it's kind of like derivatives, yo. 
because a derivative is an asset basket security kind of, you know, it's no, well, a derivative, you're not wrong in terms of the, the language of a derivative, but all, all a derivative is and, and collateralized debt obligations are basically stacks of bets. So yeah. you have a debt instrument that is either overvalued or toxic or displaced. And then you have like three, four, five, six, seven layers of bets on top of it. And that, that's why they're called, uh, the joke in investment banking circles is they're called toxics. <laughs> but they're really just artificial stacks and they're yeah. bets on bets on bets. So those aren't assets. We don't, we don't call those assets. You can consider them financial instruments in the form of assets, but that's not assets in the way we're talking. It's not a real asset. It's not like land or like a house or, no, or no, a bar of gold. It's just like saying, oh, Bitcoin Cash or Monero or Zcash or like the security token or whatever is a digital asset. Okay, fine. Can you fucking eat it? I mean, can you melt, can you melt the gold? It's the most delicious cryptocurrency. Like when these guys are like, they're like, Oh, we're going to fucking transform, you know, the world. And they, you know, they buy a compound and, and, you know, off on an Island where they're, you know, basically there's no tax laws. And then they say, well, we're going to transform. I'm like, with what? Are you growing fucking food? Yeah. Energy? (laughs) Infrastructure? Like, what are you doing with crypto that you have? Like, what are you doing? Like, let's get real here. This is basic economics, really. I, yeah. I mean, there are complexities to it. So, so people are totally ignoring the fundamentals. A lot of the institutional guys who criticize the crypto side of, of, of this whole thing, they're right. I mean, I don't care what you say. Where are the fucking trading fundamentals? I mean, and the, people will get into like, well, there's all these different algorithms and it, we're solving math problems and it's not really arbitrage because it's really the, it, it's shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking out of your fucking ass. Talking out of your ass because you're hyping your shit so that you can raise the value of stuff because you're because you're holding on. And I get it, but but it's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I bring you to my next crypto party. <laughs> and and I, I I'm 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 glad that you have a green Lamborghini in your garage. Okay, yeah. but that shit is going to end at some point. All right, yeah. like it's not you know it's not real. So. I'm not. I, I'm generalizing, but yeah. yeah. But but when it starts getting real, you feel when you when you start seeing things being backed by real assets, you think that's when you when it should be like red lights in people's heads, like alert, alert, alert. Well, well, listen, li- listen. Let's let's go back to the dollar example. I mean, look, it is not inconceivable if you look at factors like net energy decline, which is a real metric in the real world. If you look at Inverse yield curves, like bond yield inversion, where bonds basically and tre- treasuries especially, I mean, there's a huge sell-off in treasuries. All of this means that we have unprecedented factors, preconditions that would determine the value of a dollar. And, and the reality is, is the dollar's barely holding on. Okay, yeah. I don't care what anybody says. If you look at the real world conditions that are involved. So the opportunity here, one, one opportunity is to help the dollar rally using a crypto structure with asset-backed currencies, asset-backed. And so it's not inconceivable that you would have a national fiat currency like the dollar tethered to a bunch of local cryptocurrencies that are backed by real assets. That's totally possible. It's Do you think totally the government possible. could issue its own cryptocurrency? Who, who, what, what, what? You think the government could issue its own cryptocurrency? There, let me tell you something. There are at least 20, 22 or 25 governments that I know of right now that are developing their own crypto versions of their own crypto, national cryptocurrencies. 
That's a fact. No, Venezuela already has their own. Well, Venezuela, yeah, Venezuela is a laughing stock of national, of like, yeah. of actual countries. But, I mean, but actual uh, real, by real, real uh, things that aren't meant to be like money grabs or are being developed. Or well, the, the Petro arguably is a money grab, and there was a guy on Twitter who, who, and I forgot which guy it was. It was a really thought. It was really smart, but he just laid it out in like a four. You know how people do the one. You know, it was like a 14-point thing, and yeah. we was talking about how the Petro is basically a scam, which it which it more or less is. I mean, yeah. it was really funny. We got a phone call, I don't know, several months ago from a guy that I know that's connected to all that, and he's like, hey, you want to buy uh, – I'll give you a 30% discount on them. And we looked at the specs, and I'm like, this is a fu- – this, this is – they're just moving. They're just – this doesn't look right. This doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. But to your point, so it's not probably the best example. Yeah. But there are other things like, you know, the Saudis had some massive IPO. Basically, they're going to take all that oil subsidy money and they're going to transition into the green and renewable spaces. And a lot of that's going to be crypto enabled. So, yeah, it's happened. It's already happening right now. And it just it's just a matter of how these things are going to play out, you know. I want to learn more about what you guys are doing at Novena. So you mentioned um, about creating these infrastructures that are connecting tokens with like these these asset facts uh, use cases. Uh-huh. You mentioned how like you guys have created something called the Entangle, which of course sounds just like the Tangle used by IOTA. And I wanted to go a little bit more into that and how that stuff works. Um, yeah, sure. How okay. it's not exactly Tangle, but it kind of is. Since it's like the acyclic graph going on. Yeah, so it's really interesting. There's three components of our business. One of, of one is, you know, building sort of a small portfolio of interconnected companies that are doing good in the world. A lot of those are social enterprises and or ecological uh, efforts. So for example, we have a company in Australia that we're working with that recycles tires and then they have zero footprint industrial use products that come out of the the conversion of the of the rubber of the tires themselves. Very very cool and they're going to they want to install about 200 sites in in the US and uh, we're going to go raise probably initially about 400 million dollars, right? So what what are we doing for them? We're developing a, a custom chain, a DLT structure. We're developing the capital structure models for it. We're enhancing their IP through it and all of which is all of which is under, you know, underlying all of this are are a unique chain or a DLT structure, and then of course we go and raise the money. So that's so that's one aspect of the business. Yeah. Um, the second aspect of the business is you know building up uh, key partnerships with people that are doing really cool things. So Holochain is a group that we that we're working closely with, who just did a uh, actually just did a twenty million dollar raise in what they call an initial community offering. So you asked earlier, are there community utilities that are being offered? They've done that. So hollow fuel is that. And it's a very, very thoughtful structure developed by two guys that are just really, really, really high-end technologists. And and that's related to what we do on the proprietary development side. So Holochain on the back end has a really unique hashing structure and a mesh network structure where basically it's a nodal internodal, inter, uh, like a like an agent-centric model. So the way the internet, the way the web works right now and the internet works right now is you basically have these nodes, but they're, the nodes are configured in such a way where 